Zivie Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zivieowens.com for updates on podcast guests and lots of live events. Today's episode has been sponsored by the Iceland Readers Retreat, which is happening April 29th to March 3rd in Iceland. Who doesn't want to go to Iceland? While you're there, you'll get small group lectures and talks by renowned authors, learning about the rich literary heritage of this Nordic book-loving nation. Adam Gopnik is the special guest this year, and he will be doing a small seminar on memoir. Between all these intimate book discussions, you get to have literary theme tours of the countryside, hear from other Icelandic writers, and discover some really cool artifacts in Reykjavik's museums. This sounds so fun, and I'm hoping I can somehow manage to get there, uh, but you should check it out at Iceland. IcelandReadersRetreat.com. That's IcelandReadersRetreat.com. The price is $1,600, but that includes so much, everything for basically four days of your life. So check it out at the Iceland Readers Retreat. Thank you so much. Today, I interviewed two authors, Jennifer Gefsky, who is the co-author with Stacey Dilo of a book called Your Turn, Careers, Kids, and Comebacks, A Working Mother's Guide. Jen Gefsky is the co-founder of Apray, a website and community dedicated to helping women re-enter the workforce with curated job opportunities. She is also a partner at Epstein, Becker & Green, a national law firm that specializes in labor and employment law. She currently lives in New York with her husband and children. Stacy Dilo lives in San Francisco. She's a former senior multimedia producer for the Wall Street Journal and the founder of Maybrooks, which was acquired by Apray. She is currently the CEO of Apray and also a speaker and work Place advocate with HarperCollins. Stacy graduated from American University and Northwestern University. I chatted with Jen in person and Stacy via Skype at the same time, and our conversation ended up being more of a conversation than an interview where I ended up talking about my own career journey. And anyway, sorry for going on about myself in this interview, but the three of us just had a really fun time chatting. So I hope you'll enjoy listening. So welcome. Jen Gefsky and Stacey Dilo. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. So Stacey is on Skype, just for anyone listening, and Jen is sitting here with me for yeah. any sound differences. That's who they are. <laughs> It'll be easy to tell the difference then, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what is your book, Your Turn, Careers, Kids, and Comebacks, Working Mother's Guide, about that doesn't get communicated in the title? <laughs> well, I think that the best way to describe the book is it's really a roadmap for women to make career decisions when work and motherhood collide. So we find that women from pre-maternity, and we're seeing in all of the events that we're doing, so many women are asking these questions even now before they have babies because they know that it's tough, you know. They obviously don't really know, but they yeah. they, they, they have imagine. heard, right, <laughs> that, you know, I think that they view their lives as difficult already. So put a child into the mix and they know how difficult it's going to be. So we're seeing all these women pre-maternity through the whole journey of, I've been out of the workplace for 15 years, and now my kids are going to college and I want to come back to work. So this entire journey that women go on, the book really provides a roadmap for making decisions along the way, whatever those decisions may be, and then setting women up for success once they make the decision. So how, if I want to work part-time, you know, how do I do that successfully? Or if I want to continue to work full-time, what does that look like for me and my family? So that's how I would describe the book. That's really not quite on the cover. One of the things we found is that in our business, our prey, we focus primarily on women who have taken career breaks and helping them get back into the workforce, regardless of how long those breaks have been. And what's interesting is when you look at the the data, there are 15 million working women with children 
under the age of 18. And so while we tend to focus, the press focuses a lot on maternity leave and the need for paid leave, which we strongly agree with, and then that return back. And then we focus a lot on women returning to work. And yet there's this large swath of women in the middle, in that messy middle, as we call it in the book, who are trying to make these decisions about what, you know, whether to take a career break, whether to go part-time, whether to go freelance. And often they're left feeling very stressed about those decisions and what the opportunity costs are going to be when they make those decisions. And so, like Jen said, if you see the cover of our book, it's a career dial with many stops along the way. And we wanted people to understand that they can turn it. You can go part-time and still get a full-time job later when you're ready. You can take a career break and still get back into the workforce. And so giving women these options and understanding that they have them and then how to make those decisions is really what the book is about. How do you know if you're in the messy middle? Is it by the piles of laundry or what, what, how, how, what's the tell, what are the telltale signs? The stress level. <laughs> I always say mine was when I had to check if I had on matching shoes as I was leaving the door. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, you know, my messy middle really came to sort of a head when I felt like I was failing at every part of my life. Like I wasn't great at being a mom. I wasn't great in my job. And I just felt like I was stretched so thin. That to me is like the essence of messy middle where you're just surviving almost. I mean, obviously not everybody is that stretched, but I think pretty much every mom can, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're working full-time, it's hard being a parent. So, you know, that to me was, and you know, in the book we talk about when I got to that point, I quit. You know, I quit my job, which I never, ever thought I would do. I loved working. I loved my career. I worked really hard to get to where I was, but I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And I, and I quit. And that's Wait, 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 back up for two seconds. So what were you, tell us what you were doing before and the moment, like how leading up to it, you realized you, how did you get to that like hitting bottom moment where you knew you just had to walk out of there? So I was vice president and deputy general counsel at Major League Baseball, which was, you know, such a coveted job and a job that I loved and it was exciting and all these things. But it did require travel, which we found when we talked to women, travel is just a, a huge factor in terms of career success. If a woman has to travel, it means her significant other doesn't travel or somebody is watching the kids all the time. So I was traveling. It was high pressure. At the time, I had moved out of New York City, so I had an hour and 20-minute commute each way. So I was leaving my house at 7 in the morning, getting home at 7 in the night, feeling like I never saw my kids, but I was the bare minimum in the office, like basically like 8.45 to 5.45, you know, which got the eye rolls from my male colleagues. So I just was too stressed out and I just wanted it to stop and I wanted to get off the roller coaster. And I thought I'm going to just, that's it. I'm going to quit. I, I was lucky that financially we could do that. But in retrospect, the mistake that I made, and this is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about this topic, because I don't want women to make the same mistakes that I made, is that I didn't consider the the repercussions or the consequences of taking that break financially, emotionally, what my self-identity was going to, how that was going to evolve to a place that I never expected. You know, the difference in our relationship with my husband, you know, when both are income providers and like all of a sudden one person's not getting a paycheck, it does change the dynamic of the relationship in a way. I no longer had a paycheck. So all of those things I didn't think about really before I quit, but I don't regret my career break. There was a lot of great things about it, but I wish I would have known before all the factors involved with, including getting back to work, how difficult that that 
process can be. And, you know, a lot of women, I think the number one thing that Stacy and I hear is, you know, I can't afford to pay the babysitter. Childcare cost is one of the most draining financial things for American families today. 20% of income for the average American family goes to childcare. It's more expensive than putting a kid through college. And so we hear that, you know, I can't afford the childcare. My paycheck barely covers it. But the hit on you financially is so much more than just the paycheck that you're losing in the long term. It's because you're losing your current money. You're going to come back at a lower income than when you left, even after just one year of being out. And then the rest of your career is based on that lower income. You're losing your retirement benefits. You're losing health benefits. So there's so much to go into that financial decision of leaving. Very long answer. (laughs) (laughs) And how did your career path affect your writing this book and everything? So I was a reporter for many years and was really at the height of my career in terms of what I wanted to do. I was an online video reporter with the Wall Street Journal. And at the time, and this always makes me feel a little bit dated, although technology moves really quickly, um, but the journal was launching their first online live shows. And I had always wanted to be the host of a live show. And so when I was this kind of, you know, really excited about this moment, they asked me to come out. I live in San Francisco and they asked me to come out to New York to interview for the first show that they were going to launch as the host. And I interviewed and tried out and auditioned and it was so awesome. And I came back really excited and I didn't get the job. And so I ended up what we call sort of doubling down in San Francisco. I had just gotten married. We bought a house and I got pregnant. And then several months later, Alan Murray, who was the head of WSJ Digital at the time, called and said, Stacey, we're going to launch another show. It's going to be focused on technology, which was a little bit more at my alley anyway. And we'd love for you to be the host. And I was like, awesome, I'll totally do it. Let me move to New York. And then I remembered that I was pregnant. And so I ended up coming to launch the show in in New York and having just the best time of my career, honestly. But then I had to come back and have the baby. And I had told everybody that I would be back after six weeks. And they all shook their heads and they were like, sure thing. And then of course I had the baby and it didn't work out that I was back after six weeks. Fortunately, the company had a nice paid leave offering at the time. And I was able to stay out close to six months, which was not my plan. So I learned a lot in that. And then I discovered that in the paperwork, there was an opportunity to go back part-time. And it was buried in a section of the paid leave paperwork that said, if you choose not to return. And so it was a surprise to me that it was even offered. And so I asked my manager if I could come back part-time and I did. And I ended up staying that way through the rest of my tenure at WSJ. And I think that's an important story just because the company had a policy that allowed me to go part-time, which ultimately retained me. And I was able to have healthcare benefits and all that good stuff. But they didn't tell me that it was available. I had to ask for it. And within that, I started hearing from a lot of my peers, you know, why, how were you able to do this? What are some of the strategies that you use to go part-time? And I said, well, 
I just asked, but it, it clued me into the fact that there was a need for resources for women. And at the time, there weren't very many online resources available, career sites that were really focused on helping women think through these transitions. And so I left to found one of those. And then Jen and I combined our companies in 2017. And so we've taken all those learnings, both our personal experiences, which are different. And then the fact that we've talked to just thousands and thousands of women and companies over the last years to really understand what those needs are and then how to help both of those entities get ahead of them, right? There's there's a benefit for women who are highly educated, highly experienced, more so than really ever before. They now make up the majority of the college-educated workforce to understand the the individual power that they have to to talk to their companies and to ask for what they want, but then to also help the companies really understand, and they do, they understand the benefit to the bottom line, but sometimes they need help in understanding how to make things work so that women will continue to work for them. And they, and they end up getting very loyal, experienced employees as a result. So for your business, Apre, what's the balance of women that you're helping versus companies that you're helping? That's a really good question. So Stacey, how many companies do we have on the platform now? Well, it really ebbs and flows just because of the nature of the way that jobs are filled. But we've worked with over 200 companies in the last three years. And I would say that, you know, from a volume perspective, we have more job seekers than we do companies, but then companies bring a large number of jobs. So, you know, we spend our time in both places. We've developed a lot of, if you go to our website, you'll see a lot of resources geared toward women. We really serve the women via the website. And so we have a lot of educational resources to help with refreshing a skill set or polishing a LinkedIn profile or your resume or really digging down and thinking about a lot of the things that we raise in the book, but maybe working with a coach to help you think it through better and and figure out what's best for you. And right now we have about 40,000 women on the site. So there's a lot of women and we, you know, we find that so many women are paralyzed, you know, especially women who have taken career breaks, even if it's just for one year, they're just paralyzed of how do you start? How do you begin? How do I explain this gap on my resume? And so there's a lot of resources on the site geared towards that. But what we also find that more and more are women who want to pivot, right? So I've been a lawyer my whole life. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, I'm not fulfilled. It doesn't work with my home life. I want to do something else. So we're seeing that more and more. And millennials, more than Gen Xers, are doing that. So there's there's resources on the site geared towards that, that concept of pivoting. And you both are so busy. When did you find time <laughs> to write this book? No, I'm just thinking you're like running businesses. You live across. The, how did you collaborate on this book project? And when? how did you get it done? Well, it's funny because obviously, you know, a lot of authors and I'm sure you've heard this before, but getting a book out into the world is incredibly hard. It's it's much harder than I think people think before they go through the process. So this process was from literally like beginning to end was three years. So from idea inception. That's not bad, by the way. Really? Is yeah. that right? The three years I just interviewed before you has been working on her, had worked on her book for 14 years. Oh my God. So I'm just saying, (laughs) 
you know. I, wow. wow. I mean, she had a bunch of kids in between. Angela Hemsel. Anyway, she's great. It's a memoir. But I'm just saying, three years is actually pretty speedy when you... Yeah, you know what I think? Almost, I think it's better to have a team. Mm-hmm. So it's Stacy and I, they're co-authors, but we also had someone help with the writing, and that's Kathleen Harris, mm-hmm. who's credited in the book as well. And we would have, you know, weekly team meetings to literally line edit and go over and talk about ideas and organization and, and et cetera. But, you know, the book proposal process for a nonfiction book, yeah. you've basically got the book, you know, in a skeleton form once you're submitting it to publishers. So the process of getting a nonfiction book out is is grueling in a way. And, you know, getting a literary agent and finding a publisher, and, and we have a great publisher, Harper Business, but it really truly is a process and a journey and a learning journey the whole time through. You know, every stage was sort of interesting, including when we launched, you know, when our book hit the hit the shelves, it was like still an interesting process to see how that operates. Yeah. And I recently heard, I you may know this, Debbie, I, I don't know what the statistic is, but I've been hearing that it's still just a fraction of women who actually get published. That there's that it's still just a you know even getting women through I mean what Jen is saying all of the various steps to get a book out and and to actually have a publisher is really it's a lot of work it's it's a lot of work for men and women honestly yeah. I mean I mean I don't I don't have the breakdown in, by gender but it's it's a slog and the crazy part is that there are so many books always coming out yeah I know and yet know. how is that possible right I mean yeah. it's so much time it's so yeah. much effort. Everybody is like, I had 57 rejections and blah, blah, blah. And yet, here's this new slew every day. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's true. I'm like, but I think what a lot of people don't realize is much of the burden is on the author, yes. not on the publisher, it's not true. on your agents. It's, it is on the authors, which I think surprises a lot of first-time authors. It surprised me a little bit. And like I said, Harper Business is great, but it is a lot of groundwork by the authors. It's not just like, oh, I wrote this book and somehow it magically sells. It, you know, the the getting the word out is really up to the authors for the most part. I saw a book talk recently. Somebody compared it to that the publishers are really just printers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> They've become yeah. printers. And then they're like, they make it better. They edit. They right? definitely they, they edit. Yeah. They make it better. And then they're like, here you go. Yes. Go ahead. Kind of. Marketing distribution. Have fun. Like, yes. <laughs> there is something to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, and I'm sorry if this offends any publishers, and please keep sending, keep sending me books, please. Anyway, I'm kidding. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a process. Yeah. And I do think it surprises a lot of people, a yeah. lot of first-time authors. But it's, you know, I mean, the best way to sell books, other than, you know, fictional books that are just amazing yeah. stories, but the best way to sell nonfiction books is by the authors to get out there and really yeah, talk about to. it. Yeah, and we really have the mentality of we just want to help one woman, you know, and mm-hmm. then that one woman helps another woman. And and I will say when times were dark and it was tough and, you know, we both have regular jobs outside of being authors. And when we're so busy, I just kept saying and we kept saying as a team, like, this is going to help a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that the book is, I mean, we keep hearing, I wish this book was out there when I took my career break, or I wish this book was out there when I was making these decisions, because it really is a helpful guide to women who feel alone. And a lot of women feel alone. That's another, certainly an uh, emotion that I had Mm -hmm. when I was feeling like a failure in all aspects of my life. I felt like I was the only one who wasn't able to figure it out. Like, why can't I figure it out? Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, of the thousands of women that we've spoken to, everyone feels that way. I know. It's crazy. I mean, one of the aha moments for me 
me for women who have taken career breaks is we were doing, what do you call it when you get a group together, like a think tank, yeah, like a focus group. And it was all these Ivy League educated women who had taken career breaks. And across the board, everyone felt like they had nothing to add to a company. They had no value. They basically, their skills were completely eroded. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the message that corporate America is sending these women. They're incredibly smart and talented. And what we know is that regardless almost of the length of career break you've taken, when you go back, those skills come back really quickly. And being a mom and having that career break actually makes you a better employee. So all these things that, you know, this sort of information to tell these women to basically shake them and say, no, you do have value. You would be an incredible employee. So that's one of the messages in the book too. Yeah. And we're really grateful. When Just back to the publishing, we worked with, I'm grateful to Harper Business for this. On their timeline, they pushed their timeline and, and it meant we had to work smarter, faster to get the book out. But we were able to get the book out in this year, this calendar year, 2019 versus 2020, which is initially what they had proposed. And we felt like that was so important because the conversation around women in the workplace and the need on both the women's side and the corporate side is really strong right now. And I think we're seeing that evidenced in the number of companies that we're going in and talking to. And it's been just really wonderful to go in and speak with parents groups and women's initiative groups and talk about and and see them thinking about and being progressive about the policies and things that they're offering at companies and how they want to do to do better. So that's been a really nice piece of this. It's so great because I've interviewed a number of people all coming at this issue of women and working and all different angles, right? You've you've written like the guidebook, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, like, I feel like this should be a gift when people have a baby. Like, congratulations, (laughs) here's your blanket, take the book. Do you know what I mean? Like, it should be, you know, or maybe even just when they get pregnant, if people were to give gifts for them and it wasn't like bad luck or something. But I think, you know, like the suffragettes in the olden days, like, you know, they're all these heroes came out of that movement and they couldn't necessarily see it at the time. I feel like you two and some of these other authors who are writing about it over time will become some of these like heroes who sort of led the working mom to yeah. a better place, but we're in transition now. So it's not as clear. Totally. Well, like, thank I you feel for like that. everyone is like, no, nice but, thank no you. but it's true yeah. because, you know, everybody needs leaders and that's really what you're doing by writing the book and all the resources you offer people and everything. It's just like, leading people out of sort of a situation that will probably shake out to look different than it is now as a result, you know? Well, and I, and I really think this is such a unique point in history because Mm -hmm. women, I believe are finally beginning to understand we have a lot of power. We have, like Stacy said earlier, we make up a vast majority of college graduates in this country. I mean, I think it's close to 60%. So, you know, we're, we're more educated across the board than men. We have tremendous power in the workplace. And women are just starting to understand that power. And instead of looking at it like, oh, please, you know, hire me or, oh, please, you know, let me have a flexible work schedule. You know, that ability to sort of control your destiny and to go to companies that you know, you know, respect women, respect all employees and provide a workplace that allows people to have lives outside of work, which is, by the way, millennial driven and Gen Z driven. I mean, this is not just a female thing. This is a sort of a generational thing. But it's so exciting to be at this point in time because we're seeing this like women. I hate to use the word empowerment because I feel like it is a little bit overused. But, you know, 
there's this new organization called Chief.com. <laughs> yeah, but like, have you heard of Chief.com? This I is the new. Oh, okay. So it's a new New York City based. Like, it's for like C-suite level women and up, and it's it's a like basically you have to apply to get accepted. But it's a way for these really high level women to connect and to network and to build each other up. And I'm thinking this is amazing. You should check out the website. It's really well done. But there's you know the the female quotient and just all these amazing sort of women platforms out there that mm-hmm. are allowing women to feel their strength and their power. So it's very exciting, I think. I feel it's like taking back control, right? It felt yes. like very powerless and there wasn't a lot of hope. And I feel like a lot of women have been very depressed about that. Yes. And like now people like you are coming around and writing books like this saying like, there's hope, here's control, here's how you can take back the piece that you can take back. Yes. And like that always makes people feel better. For sure, absolutely. And, and understand that there are companies, if you're not working at one that is working with you, there are other companies out there that will. And to, to keep that sort of in your back pocket as you're thinking through all of these things. I feel like we should get your career path, Zibi. What did you do? What's your path? Oh my gosh, I know. I'm like, sorry, this is now a total conversation. I'm not even really interviewing you anymore. <laughs> sorry, I hope people read the book. Buy the book. It's called Your Turn. No, I don't want to go. I mean, I've had a very windy road, but I've always loved to write and I've always loved to read. I wanted to be a psychologist, but my path led me to California. I followed this boy I was dating after college and he wanted to go to California for a couple of years and then go back to business school. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I tossed my GREs aside and my intensive psychology major. And I was like, well, I really like understanding consumer behavior. It's the same as sort of understanding people's behavior. So I wanted to do strategic planning for like ad agencies or branding firms. So I went out there and did that. And then the internet, not to date me, but like the internet (laughs) was just exploding. And so I jumped ship and did internet marketing for a little while where there was like a keg party every day at the office. And it was like, everybody thought they were a millionaire. It was amazing. Then I moved to Unilever and did like consumer products branding. And I broke up with a guy, went back to New York. And then I decided, you know what, to, to get to the next phase of marketing, if this is what I'm going to do, I need to go to business school. And I had all these entrepreneurial ideas. My parents were like, don't start a business unless you've gone to business school. So I ended up going to business school and my ex-boyfriend was in my class. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's a great yes, story. Yes. Oh, I'm, my God. And I just, Did you I was, not know that until you showed up on the first day? <laughs> I mean, he had been debating where he was yeah. going to go whenever. So, yeah, it was pretty funny because I I should have been there. as Did like you the, start dating again? At the spouse. No, no, no. I was okay. dating somebody else. But I should have been there like as the spouse. House, like yeah. the partner. And instead I was there as the student, you know, it was very, I don't know. I felt like, I don't know. And like my parents, my parents, I know it's like, it's like this whole thing. And actually my parents, not to keep, I don't know why I'm talking like this, but my parents met at Harvard Business School also. Um, yeah. My mom was like a course assistant. So I don't know. And then I ended up meeting my first husband there and having my kids with him. And I did a bunch of like little entrepreneurial things, kept writing, had a little stint at Weight Watchers for a while where I was a leader. <laughs> While I was doing a lot of writing, I wrote a book that ended up not being published. And then I had my four kids. I helped my current husband. I got divorced. I got remarried. Helped him start up a crumb cake business because his family loves to make crumb cakes. So I helped like run that for a year. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And then I started writing this other book. And a friend of mine said, you know, you should really have a podcast. And I was like, what's a podcast? Anyway... <laughs> And here we are. So now, highly popular podcast. So, That's so exciting. Um, so it's been really fun. Yeah. But well, and but, it tells you that there, are, and I've had a windy path too. That there, there are lots of different 
turns that one can make in their career and it all works out in the end. Yeah, it's true. I remember sitting at a class like in business school and you had to lay out like all your different personal development things, like what you were looking for in a job. And you've probably done this at some point. Anyway, and I was like, I have all these things that I think I'm like pretty good at, but there's no job for that. This doesn't fit anywhere. You need to take our purpose and passion coaching circle (laughs) and help pinpoint exactly how to put those into one thing. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so now this is like a dream come true. I like sit at my desk and talk to people like you. So it's Uh great. (laughs) Anyway, so what is coming next for you guys? You have this book out. I'm sure you're all over the place still promoting. Yeah. Are you going to write another book? Are you going to do something more with that? Pray. Like, what's your... It's so funny that you say that about another book because Stacey and I I was just out in San Francisco and and Stacey and I, she was like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about the next book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you want to write another book? Like, I don't know if I have it in me. So I don't know. To be honest, I think companies need a lot of help. What I'm seeing out there, and Stacey, I don't know how you necessarily feel about this, but what I'm seeing out there in my work as an employment lawyer, but also in the work that that we do, that companies don't have this nefarious intent necessarily. They want to figure it out. They just don't know how. And it's not easy. It's not like there's a single answer that, oh, let me snap our fingers and have a great corporate culture that women want to come and work at. It's difficult. And I think it's difficult because it takes everybody in the company to be on board. It's not just leaders saying, this is what I want. It's not just human resources people saying, this is what we should have. Everybody in the company has to get on board. And so I think that there's tremendous need for education within companies for for outsiders to come in and really work with companies on culture. And especially in the arena of understanding women and the pain points. And, you know, I remember, for example, when I came back from my first maternity leave and I was, I think it was an eight week maternity leave. It wasn't particularly long. And my coworkers thought I was on vacation, you know, and it's like, I came back, I was exhausted. I was emotional. I was, you know, just couldn't believe that my baby was at home with a stranger. And here I am. I didn't even know like what hour of the day it was. And so that real disconnect between companies thinking, oh, you've been off for eight weeks and now it's great to have you back. Let's get the ground, you know, hit the ground running and you just want to like crawl into bed. So that's just one example where we see companies starting to wake up and say women need support at this time in their career, especially if we want to retain them. So, for example, we're seeing some really sort of forward-thinking companies when a woman comes back from maternity leave having a maternity leave coach. Did you know there's such a thing? I did not know. Isn't it an amazing idea? Like, I wish I had this. So a coach that you work with privately to just help you go through this period of time, whether it's a month or six weeks or two months, or like when you come back from maternity leave and your company has like a basket for you on your desk and welcome back and, you know, things like that where you just feel like there's an understanding that you weren't on vacation and it was a maternity leave. So, you know, just those are just a few examples, but there's so many, you know, to help retain women because companies seem to do a pretty good job recruiting women at the entry level. And I hear that a lot from companies. Oh, we're great. We have, you know, 50%, you know, diversity, and I'm like, what at what level? And it's always entry level. And then when you look up to C-suite, it's, you know, basically no women. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the retention of women and, and what's going on and what are the pain points. And flexibility is obviously the number one thing that companies need to wrap their heads around because so many companies are stuck in those traditionalist and baby boomer ways of you've got to be at your desk and you've got to work 10 hours a day. And, you know, if you're not here, it means you're not working. It's just old school and it's not the way the world works anymore. So that slow transition to 
we can work remotely, we can still be productive if we have flexible hours. And the companies that are figuring that out are, are really winning the war for talent. I mean, Gen Zs are very smart about where they're going to work. They don't want to work for a company that doesn't have a great culture. Yeah, I think we're just excited to get the word out. I mean, it's, I, I agree with you, Zibi, that it's an exciting time for women right now. And this is just you know, we just launched the book in October and, you know, we have a lot of interest in just continuing to really get it into the hands of women so that they can make the best choices for themselves and their families. And then like Jen was just describing, really help educate companies on how they can do better on behalf of women. Do you have any parting advice for aspiring authors? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I mean, honestly, it's going to sound cliche, but like, don't give up. Don't give up. Just, you know, keep at it and keep going. And it is, it's a slog. I mean, I think if you know that, it's similar advice we give to women coming back into the workplace after a break. It's like, you know, it's not easy. There's a lot of rejection. You shouldn't be in it for the money because it's not going to, you know, make you wealthy, most likely. And it's a, it's a labor of love, but you got to keep at it and keep at it. And if you love what you're doing, then somebody else will probably love it too. I mean, I think that's sort of, my main theme is don't give up. I think if you have ideas that you can test in posts, you know, on Medium or LinkedIn or someplace where it kind of elevates the idea, then the good news is that potentially people will reach out to you. And like you're doing, Zibi, you can start building a following through podcasts or all, we have so many tools at our disposal today where you can be a writer and and to start working some of that muscle that you have so that you can can get exposure. You know, one of the things that we say in the book is that if you don't do it, it will never happen. If you don't ask, you'll never know, right? And so it's kind of that same thing. And it's advice that we give women when they're looking to return to the workforce just start doing something, right? Maybe it's as simple as meeting people for coffee to talk about what you might like to do. But if you're interested in writing a book, then it's the, kind of the same concept can be applied there. Just just start writing and getting some of your material out. And if it's in this direction, contact us because we'd be happy to post it on our website. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but Stacey has a really good point. And, you know, when when we were starting out Prey, there was this feeling like, oh, you know, we've got to keep our idea, you know, secret before we launch. And the fact of the matter, I can't tell you how many people said, oh, we had that idea. And that was, I had that same idea. Mm-hmm. It's the same with a book because at the end of the day, it's incredible. It's, it's so much work to <laughs> go from A to Z that most right. people don't get there. Mm-hmm. So yes, everyone has an idea, but to actually bring that idea to fruition is a totally different thing. So I really like that idea of sharing, sort of sprinkling the, you know, the, the topic and seeing what kind of traction you get if people are interested in it is a really, I think, good way to go about it and start testing the skills of writing. It's hard though. You have to be disciplined. I mean, like I said before, one of the things that I think helped about having a team versus just being an author by yourself is having these weekly scheduled, you know, we scheduled this out. And if we didn't, I don't think it would have ever finished. So I think it's more difficult to do if you're by yourself. You have mm-hmm. to be very disciplined about, you know, and you, I've, I've heard this before from authors. I write from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning, and that's the time I spend. But not everyone is so disciplined, you know. Yeah, that's the hard part. Getting it out is the Or has part. from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Who has that time? Who has that time? Anyway. Well, thank you both so much for coming on Moms That Have Time to Read Books. Thanks, Sibby. Thanks so much, Sibby. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens. Please make sure to sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com to get more updates about episodes like these and also lots of live events. Thanks so much. Today's episode has been sponsored by the Iceland Readers Retreat. Don't forget to check it out April 29th to May 3rd, 2020, icelandreadersretreat.com. You can follow me on Instagram at moms don't have time to read books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 